0: through the book of 1 Timothy, it's pastoral epistles, and this morning I'm going to preach on deacons, the work of a deacon. And uh, some people may find this boring, but if you find it boring, you shouldn't. This ought to be of utmost interest to everybody in a church. If you're interested in the church, you ought to be interested in this subject. I've been preaching on the subject of a pastor down through verses 1 through 8, one through 7. Now we're going to pick it up reading at Genesis 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse number 8. The Bible said, likewise must the deacons be grave. That means you're not silly. It doesn't mean they can't have a smile and have a good time and be pleasant. It just means that they're serious about life. They're serious about church. They understand there's a heaven and a hell. And they understand church work is serious business. And it's not something to lightly take. Said they must be grave, Not do- double tongued. They don't talk one way in church and another way outside the church. They're not giving to much wine. If I was been writing the Bible, I'd say they ought not take any, but God said not much. (laughs) Anyway, you can take that for whatever it is, but I think everybody, not greedy, of filthy lucre. Now, what you're going to find out here is that the qualifications and credentials for a deacon are almost identical to that of a preacher. Watch this carefully. It is out of the pool of deacon men who fulfill the work of a deacon that God oftentimes calls preachers. And it's come sometimes a preparatory stat, state in life that God is bringing you t- toward the ministry. And I'll prove that to you in the Bible here in just a second. He said they're uh, uh, not guilt, not greedy, of filthy lucre. In other words, they're not in any ministry for the work they do is not for money and monetary gain. Verse number nine, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. They have to have a pure conscience, conscience clear with people so that they can effectively minister. Verse number 10, let those also be proved. In other words, don't let them be a novice like a preacher, but then let, let, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. You see the same words and the same thoughts as you did at call the preacher. Verse number 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children, their house own houses well. Again, just seeing almost a duplication. Of the requirements for a pastor, for they that have used the office of a deacon, well purchased in themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus, these things write I unto thee, the, hoping to come unto thee shortly. now here verse fifteen, in case everybody wants to know, is the key verse to first Timothy, the entire book, verse fifteen, but if I tarry that thou mayest know he 's writing all this stuff, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself. In the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. That's a big statement. And God says all the stuff that I'm writing so that the church knows how it ought to behave itself and how to operate and so forth. Verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, world, and received up into glory. Lord, help me to preach now. Help me preach fast and straight and quick and easy to understand in Jesus' sake and for his, for his sake and glory. Amen. Um, in the Old Testament, there's a picture of this. It's, it's, it's in David's mighty men. If you've never heard the message, David's mighty men, you might want to listen to it. But in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament is enclosed in the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is undisclosed in the New Testament. David is a picture, uh, as it were, as a pastor. And he had these mighty men around him who protected him and cared about him and loved him and worked with him and, and helped make his life successful. All right. In a church. For a pastor, there are what the Bible calls here deacons. Now, I'm going to say some things today that might shock you about this issue of deacons. I'm going to say things that we wouldn't hear hardly any place at all that I know about. And the reason you can't hear it is because, uh, by and large, in churches, we're not being honest with ourselves in the day in which we live. And so we'll say some things there. Now, let me just say, as I get, go and get this behind me. There is no such thing as a deaconess. That's right. It's not in the Bible. In fact, I'll prove this to you. Look at verse number 11. So must their wives. Whose wives? The deacons. That means a deacon is a man. Yeah. Or, or, or if you want to make, you know what? Did you understand this? If you claim there's deaconesses, then you're talking about lesbians. You're talking about same-sex marriage. You understand that? Right. You understand how vile and perverse this junk is going on in our churches? Yeah. And it also says in verse number 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. It's a man. There ain't no such thing as deaconess. Now, let me tell you where they get the deaconess stuff at. Yeah. Go with the Greek. Yeah. Yeah. But if you read English, you know that's not true. The only way I've ever heard anybody claim that women can be deacon, This is, is by going back to the Greek. Yeah. They have to do that because the English clearly says it's men. You can't read that without knowing it's men to be a deacon. Right. So that ought to straighten you up. So you walk into a church and they tell you, well, we have deaconesses here. Get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. 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 All right, I already turned some of you. Already turned me off, and you're mad already. Boy, that happened fast, didn't it? All right, now I want you to go to Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six. Put that up on the board, guys. If you don't care, Acts chapter six. We're gonna we're gonna talk, look at the first deacon we know about in the Bibles. Y'all know about the. I don't have to look to the stuff there. I can go to the Bible and find out about deacons. All right. Now, this message is going to last into tonight. I'm going to finish it today, but I beg you in Jesus' name, if you care about the church, you care about the work of God, if you can't be here, listen online and get this message. Mm -hmm. Do not miss this message tonight because this message will tell you why churches are impotent, powerless, messed up, fighting, uh, everything but what they ought to be doing. And it has to do with this subject right here. And I'm telling you, it is powerful. Now, verse chapter number six, the book of Acts, everybody there say amen. Amen. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, guess what? There arose a what? Happy everybody was getting along good? No, hey, back in Acts chapter six, the church had people in it that was murmuring. (laughs) Amen. It ain't changed nothing. They were all murmuring of the Grecians. So that's the Greeks against the Hebrews. By the way, in the Bible, if you're not a Hebrew, you're a Greek. Those were the two, sometimes God puts humanity in those two classes, Gentiles or the Hebrews. Now, he said there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because. Now, I'm going to preach on widows here, and I don't know, three, four weeks, five weeks, ten weeks, I don't know. But you ain't going to like it. Most people ain't going to like what the Bible, they don't like what the Bible says. I want to tell some of these rascals right now, just to give you a heads up not to be here, that if you're not taking care of your widows, you're sorry, you're worthless, you're low down, you're disobedient, you're in sin, and you ought to straighten up and get right, and you start taking care of your widows and quit having the church do it. Amen. 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 Some of you got answer to widows. I didn't really mean to get on this, but you probably won't be back for the real message. So I get you right here. Amen. <laughs> All right. They got to grappling. They said, y'all ain't taking care of our wiggles." Um, if I'd have said, where are you at, dude? Why don't you go fix her window? Why don't you fix her car? Why don't you take care of her? God said to. All right. Now, verse number two. In, they were, they were, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, "It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables." Now I'm going to say something to you. The early church was not perfect. Does everybody, give, everybody likes to talk about the early church being perfect. Did you know the early church practiced socialism and communism almost, and it did not work. It, it, oh, it worked for a little while, and everybody was in their little commune, and it was all wonderful and great, and they were share and share alike, and everything. And pretty soon, the, the human nature came out in them, and they left that behind and left and went into free enterprise and capitalism. You little communist, sorry thing, get out of here! Turn the TV off, boy! I tell you, I don't like that stuff. Oh, I don't know, oh, amen. They said, uh, it's not a reason for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. I want to tell you what I believe a preacher ought to, he ought to read the Bible, pray and study and still serve tables. That's what I believe. I don't believe there's any preacher ought to just sit around the house reading his Bible and watching TV and everybody else doing something. You ought to work if you're a preacher. Amen. Amen. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. Now, here's your, here's your criteria for the deacons in the church. Seven men full of honest report. Men that would do right and tell the truth, weren't cheating nobody, full of the Holy Ghost, amen, amen. amen. and wisdom. These men knew the Bible. Amen. They had wisdom that we may appoint over this business. They said, now we're busy, and they, you know what? Probably I, I'm a sorry little down worthless preacher, and I realize that. And I don't do like, maybe I'd be better off sitting at the house studying all day long. Maybe so. I don't know. But i tell you, I'd be bad if you come back here next Sunday. You say, he lost his mind. <laughs> I got to get out. Amen. I got to work. It's good for my brain and my body to work. Yeah, amen. All right. Now, that's just me. But he said there, verse number four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, these, these men said, we can't, we can't take care of these widows. We need some men in the church that's going to do it. Verse 5, the same, please, old multitude, and they chose Stephen, watch this, here's the first deacon in the Bible, as far as I understand, a man full of faith, because they were going to take care of the servant. but I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how the Holy Ghost was moving in this thing, and it was different than they thought it was going to be. He said, they chose Stephen, here, watch this, underline your Bible, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, then it names these other six men, Philip, Procarus, Nicanor, Timon. Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now watch what happened after this. The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith, here. look at this description of this man. Now what I want you to do, if you're reading your Bible this week and studying about men of God, whether it be a deacon or not, I want you to think about What were these men like that God wanted to choose to use in the church? What kind of men were they? He said they were full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians and them of Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Well, the Bible's evidently right here. Stephen was preaching and declaring the word of God. Here he is a deacon. He's preaching the word of God and he rises up a bunch of trouble against himself and people got mad because of what he's preaching. Verse number 10 says, watch this. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now I'm gonna tell you something right now. I ain't ain't within a million miles of Stephen in the Bible. This man is absolutely something else. I mean, he is something else. I'm not even close to him. I'm telling you, I ain't even near what this man was. He said in verse number 11, Then they suborned men. Who did these men that he that that in the synagogue that got all riled up against him? Suborn. How many here knows what suborned means? Raise your hand. Well, I didn't either. Until I went back to Greek, and I read. No, I'm lying to you. (laughs) Guess what? I went to an English dictionary and found out what suborned means Like to fell over backwards. You know what it means? It means that they paid people to give a false testimony. That's suborned. They paid people to lie under oath. In your dictionary, an 1828, dictionary in America, "suborn" mean that you paid people to get on a witness stand and lie and tell the truth so you can go scot free for your crime. And they, so they suborned me and they paid to give false testimony, which said, "We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God." So these guys got up and the oath, and they lied and said he's speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now I tell you something right there: they were putting Moses before they were God. That'll get you in trouble. Amen. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. What's it? Caught caught him, brought him to the council. Set up false witnesses which said, now here's a deacon. Anybody know the deacon that's ever gotten this kind of mess? We don't even have a clue what deacons are in America. We do not have a clue. It's become so perverted. Such a mess. I mean, seriously. And he said, he set up false witness and said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against the, this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. Well, he's going to. Yeah. He said he would. He told him that that, he said, there won't be a stone laying on top of another time that, before this is done. And there wasn't. And he shall change the customs which Moses delivered. Now watch. They, had their, they didn't like it because their customs were going to be changed. They didn't say anything about the truth the word of God. They said, he's just going to change our customs. You know, people get mad when you change the customs. <laughs> their traditions. Verse number 15, all that sit in the council. And here's why he's, no, I ain't no Stephen. Looking steadfastly on him. He's up here in the accused chair to court and saw his face had been the face of an angel. I don't even think I could fake that. What kind of face you got to have the face of an angel? What kind of spirit in you have you got to have the face of an angel? What kind of attitude and heart do you have to have to have the face of an angel? We're talking about the first deacon in the church here. We're talking about a man that God used. Watch this. I'm going to, I can show you in the Bible how Stephen's faith affected you in America. It did. You know how it did? Because Stephen's faith affected Saul, who wound up being Paul. And Paul's the one who got the gospel to your ancestors. And it was because of a deacon. If you men in this church think you're not important and your life's not important, get a hold of this, please. If the devil's told you it doesn't matter about your life, he's lied to you. Watch the verse number seven now. And then said the high priest, are these things so? He looks at Stephen and said, are these things so? Now I'm going to do this because it needs to be done. It's going to take a little bit of time. And he said, Stephen said, and he starts preaching one of the greatest messages you've ever heard in your life. And he's going to reveal here that he knows the Bible like very few people know the Bible nowadays. Men and brethren and fathers hearken. He said, I want you to listen to me. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharan and said unto them, Get thee out of the country. He's in Genesis chapter 11 right now. Do you know that? Right, there. You ought to get this. He's in Genesis chapter 11. And he said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. And he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Sharon. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into his land, wherein now you, dwell, you now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set a foot on it. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to a seed after him as when he had yet no child. And God spake on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land that they should bring him into bondage and treat them evil 400 years. Folks, he is plowing through the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, hitting the major events that happened that God recorded. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage, that's when they were down in Egypt, will I judge, saith God. And after that, they shall come forth and serve me in, the, in this place. And he gave him, Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac beget Jacob and Jacob beget the 12 patriarchs. And so he's taken them from Genesis 11, clear up to the, all the birth of all the patriarchs. Verse number 10, delivered him out of the, his afflictions, gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh. Oh, and, I'm sorry, verse number nine. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over the land of Egypt and Sharan, and great affliction. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brother. Just going to stop right here and tell you that God reveals something right here. His brethren didn't recognize him the first trip down, but they recognized him the second trip. The Jewish people did not recognize Jesus the first time he came, but they will recognize him the second time he came. That's just embedded. This is just proof of the supernaturalness of the Bible. God is laying the messages in layers. Verse number uh, 13. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren. Joseph kindred was made known to Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and 15 souls. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died. He and our fathers and were carried over into Sycam and laid in the sepulchre that Abraham bought for some of the money of the sons of Amor, the father of Sycam. How many think that Stephen knew a little bit about what the Bible said? This guy is wrapping off, I mean, biblical history and biblical certain things like nobody's business. Verse number 17. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, what promise? He knew about the promise which God has sworn to Abraham. The people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. And the same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil and treated our fathers So they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. This is where Pharaoh's killing the babies in Egypt. He's now in the book of Exodus. He's in the book of Exodus now. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. Can I just stop here and tell you something? Write this down somewhere. Read the Old Testament, having read Acts chapter 7, Steve's message, and Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll get more out of the Old Testament than you can even wrap your brain around. Because those two chapters in the New Testament are going to tell you so much about what's really going on in the Old Testament. It's going to open your eyes to it. Now, verse 21, when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up. You know the story, Exodus there, nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. I mean, he must have been, in our day, he would have been a great soldier. Uh, he would have been a, maybe a, a great ball player. Who knows? But he was great and mighty in words and deeds in Egypt. He was no little nobody down in Egypt. And uh, verse number 23, And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brother and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptians. For he supposed... Now, I'll tell you something, boys. That's a bit, I, I, I'm having trouble not preaching. He supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. I just want to say this to you. Sometimes we suppose that people will understand what God's doing in their life, and most of the time they do not understand. That's one of the greatest truths in the Bible right there. It'll keep you from getting discouraged. You think, well, man, they ought to understand what I'm trying to do. They understand my motive. They understand I, I, I'm, I'm trying. No, they don't understand. Your own family won't understand. I'm a, I just hate to tell you, your own family won't understand. You follow God sometimes, they'll say, what on earth is he doing? Yeah. All right, verse number 26. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and he would have set one of them again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. why do you wrong one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Median, or he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, so he's taken them through Genesis 11, clear up into Exodus, and the 40 years now has expired. There's two 40-year periods now have expired in Moses' life. There appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. There's your burning bush in the Old Testament. When Moses saw it, he wandered at the sight, and as he drew near, behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of, of, of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said they, then said the Lord unto him, Put off thy shoes and thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. I'm come down to deliver them. And now come I, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? This same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel, which he appeared to him, which appeared to him in a bush. He brought them out. After he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea in the wilderness forty years. And this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you your brethren like unto me, him ye shall hear. Why did Stephen go to all this trouble rehearsing this Old Testament? He was showing them that Moses, whom they said he had talked against, that God told Moses he gonna raise up a prophet and that Jesus Christ was that prophet and fulfilled everything to the detail of what God told Moses that prophet would be. He is proving to these men that they have rejected even the man they claim to believe on. Are you listening to me? Yeah, amen. This is what needs to happen in America. We need to disprove the false beliefs in Jesus that people... See, they had conjured up a Moses that was not the Moses of the Old Testament. And they made him out to be a Moses that fit their life. Yeah. Now, Stephen is showing them by scripture, they don't even believe on the man they said they did. Yeah. Yeah. They were false believers. At this point in Stephen's messages, their sweat's starting to drip down their th- collars.' Yeah. starting to drip on their underarms the a little bit. They're getting a little bit warmed up here because they don't smell something good coming for them. Let's yeah. happen. Verse 36, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give to us. He talks about now that Moses gave them. Now, I want you to get this lively oracles. That's the law, the statutes and the judgments. And Stephen is telling them these aren't dead traditions. These aren't dead customs. The law of God is alive. The statutes will give you life. Our country, United States of America, was founded upon these laws, upon these lively oracles. It gives life and freedom. Okay? To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and their hearts turned back again to Egypt. If you know the story in Exodus and in the book of Numbers now, he's where he's at. People rebelled up against Moses, said, we want to go back to Egypt. We're tired of following you. Look what it says. Saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt. We want not to become of him. That's Exodus chapter 32. Verse number 41. They made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel ye have offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. Yeah, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch. Do you understand and what are you saying here happened. This, this tells you what was really going on back in the Old Testament that is not given in detail. How many knows what it means when they say that the children of Israel sacrificed to Moloch? How many knows what that means? Amen. They were giving their children to be burnt alive to a false Egyptian god. Amen. They were doing that. That's the Bible. They were wicked. Amen. And the star of your God, Repham, I talked about in Sunday school class this morning. Figures which he made to worship them and I will carry you and he said, and I will carry you beyond away beyond Babylon. And that's exactly what happened. God said, You do that, carrying you away to Babylon? That happened. Those men standing there listening to him knew this was the truth. Verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness. That's the tabernacle you read about that we study about with the lampstands and the show it showbread and all that. In the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought him with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, which God drave out before the face of our fathers and in the days of David. He's moving now up into the book of Joshua and Judges, where God drove out the inhabitants the, the, the of, of Israel and made room for the people of Israel to come in. Verse number 46 Who found favor before God, that's David, and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him the house. This now is moving up into 2 Kings, all the way up to Solomon, moving through the life of David. He is rehearsing the entire Old Testament there. How be it the most high dwells not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Now watch this. He's shifting them. He's going to take them away from their ritualism, from their buildings, from the stuff they did with their hands. And he's going to take them all the way back and say, listen, God even told them back there, I don't dwell in stuff you can build. The temp, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You can do all these ritualism and religion you want to. You can go through all your formalities and rituals you want to. But God that saves a man dwells within his body, the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you know what they're getting ready? You know what they know? They know they don't have him. And they know they're, they're, he's tearing down their temples that they built. He's tearing down all their religious stuff. And he said, you don't have God. He's not within your temple, the body that you live in. Heaven, watch verse 49. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What house shall you build? Will you build to me, saith the Lord God? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Now I'm going to tell you something about this time. He pulls the plug on them. Yeah. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. How have they resisted the Holy Ghost? They didn't believe the Bible. They didn't believe the word of God. They had the old Testament. They didn't believe it. They believed that it was the work of their hands and what they did that saved them. And they did not want a savior because having a savior would have destroyed their self-righteousness. Now watch what he says. Now, I mean, here's this, here's a deacon preaching. How many got the idea that this first deacon kind of knew a little bit about the Bible? I'm doing this on purpose. I said, God, it's going to take me 30 minutes just to read this. He said, that's right. You split the message. Preach the last half tonight. I want you to show these men in this church that this man knew the word of God. This man knew the word of God. He not only knew the word of God, he did not puff himself up and act like he was somebody because he knew it. But he did use the word of God in bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to watch it. You listen to me. Are you listening real good right now? Listen real good. The first deacon didn't walk up to and say, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Here's five steps to Jesus. I really appreciate all you guys have done for the cause of, of the Lord here in our area. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your guys' life. Don't you know God is love? Oh, God loves you, boys. What was his message to these people? Stephen knew the truth about the Bible and God's whole, the, the whole framework of, of, about the gospel. He knew these guys had no appreciation for the love of God. They had no appreciation for the grace of God. They had no appreciation for the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. They were full of self-righteousness and their religion and their rituals. And you know what he said to them? Listen to what he said. Ye stiff-necked. When's the last time a preacher got up and called you stiff-necked? And uncircumcised in heart. Yeah, he said, you've got Abrahamic circumcision physically in your flesh. But he said, that's not what God was after to start with. God was after the flesh of your heart. Your flesh, the carnal mind and fleshly mind is against God. And God wants you to cut the flesh off of your life. The flesh living to be carnally minded is death. He said, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. What is he saying? You still got the flesh. The flesh runs your heart. The flesh runs. All you want to hear is fleshly garbage with your ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God come in and try to sweep through a church. You're going to fight it. Oh, you wouldn't want a revival. Last thing you want is revival. Most, I hate to say this. I have to guard myself. If I'm not careful, I don't want revival. Revival will mess your life up. It'll turn your world upside down. If we ever had revival in this church, some of you would answer the call to preach, the call to be a missionary, some of you, it would mean you're going to go broke financially. It would mean that you're not going to have the side-by-side and the four-wheeler and the fishing boat and a bass boat and a bunch of other junk that you're living vanity and life for. A revival would turn this church upside down. And I'm going to warn you something. It may come during the camp meeting and you may decide I'm not going. Because I don't want my world turned upside down. I'm real, real comfortable with how things are going. And God better not mess up my life plans. Because I'm telling you, he does. I don't know what Stephen was doing before this, but whatever he was doing, he wasn't doing it now. Look at verse 52. Which of the prophets have have not your fathers persecuted? He said, you've got a long lineage of hating God's men and have slain them which showed before. The coming of the just one. If they knew their, and they knew, he's preaching the Bible to them. He's preaching Jesus out of the Old Testament to them. By the way, Jesus is all through the Old Testament. Now, what's this? You slain them which showed before the coming of the just ones, that's the prophets they killed, and whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. He said, You claim to know God, claim to love him, but you betrayed his son and you murdered him. How would you like somebody to come up and accuse you? But I want to tell you something this morning. The fact about me is that I, with my sinfulness, murdered Jesus Christ. It was my sin that took him to the cross. But especially when I do not repent and I do not follow him. But anyway, in verse 53, it says, who have received the law by the disposition of angels. Look what he told this bunch. And have not kept it. He said, You guys are dependent on how good you live, but you don't even keep the law yourself. What's he doing? He's showing them their desperate need for a Savior. And I want to tell you something there's a reason you don't hear preaching like this in America, because preachers don't want to have them be bit. They want people to be saved without repentance. They want people to not even feel guilty and say your little prayer. They don't want a move and work of the Holy Ghost to God that literally turns a man's life upside down. They want a preaching that makes them feel comfortable in their sin and no need of a savior. Did you know, watch this. Did you know he did not even give these people the gospel? Did you catch that? This man is preaching and he didn't even say, now guys, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, this just one I just mentioned, he died for you on the cross and shed his blood and was rose from the dead so you could be saved. He never even gave them the gospel. Why? They weren't ready for the gospel. They were proud. They were stiff-necked. They were arrogant. They were religious. They didn't need Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're talking about us changing the way we live, you can just take it and go to Kansas City with it. We're not interested. And he knew it. He knew they had have no appreciation for the gospel. It was one of the greatest messages ever preached and never said nothing about Jesus dying and being buried and rose to the dead and shedding his blood for him. All he said about Jesus was you killed him. Whew. Here's why in the 1700s, by 1776, this nation was in a condition to have the Declaration of Independence and a birth of freedom all across this country was because men like George Whitfield and other great men of God preached in the open fields to crowds of 10 and 20,000. And if you ever read George Whitfield's messages, for the first several sermons, he never said a word about the blood of Jesus, the grace of God. He just pounded in that you're a sinner worthy of death and hell. And that's why people would be at those meetings and all of a sudden would just fall out on the floor start crying, God, have mercy upon me. God, save me. They didn't need every head bowed. They didn't need just as I am being played. They didn't need all that junk. The power of God fell when the Holy Ghost of God honored the preaching of the truth of the word of God and the sinfulness of mankind and the murder of God's son. Don't, let me tell you, don't you ever forget this. Almighty God, the father will forever Honor the death of his son on the cross, and he will not take anybody to heaven who rejects his son or plays religious games with his son. Amen. Stephen wouldn't fit in any Bible college in this country. They never teach this, and this is why it's not preached. Now them denominational big boys know that the money wouldn't come in if you preached like Stephen preached. You couldn't send in and say we had four baptisms this week, and six joined the church. God help us! Now, once you watch this, first deacon, when they heard these things, tell me what happened. What happened? A cut to the heart. What were they cut with? Truth. Word of God. And I'm just going to tell you something. For you to, you can hate my guts if you want to. I want to tell you some of you in here. And I'll stand before God on my judgment and I'll try to tell you the truth. You may not like some of the things I preach. You know why lost people won't come to the church? Going to get cut. If that church is preaching the Bible. You say, what you said cut me. It was the word of God. Stephen wasn't out there to hurt them, but that truth cut. And the Bible said that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. And it cuts and it pierces and it has to. And can I tell you something? That if I had a, 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 if they told me, said, Reg, you've got a, a, a mass here underneath your rib and Reggie, that thing needs to be taken out. Did you know I'm going to submit myself to the cutting? Yeah, yeah. Get it out of there. And you're going to have to submit yourself to the cutting to remove the sin from your life. It's going to have to happen. You know what? We want surgery from God with no cutting. That's what we want. Look what, he, look what happened. They, they, they were cut to the heart. That's biblical preaching. Amen. These men weren't ready for the gospel. They had to be cut to the heart with conviction of sin. I want you to look at the next thing they did. They gnashed on him with their teeth. I can't even fathom. You know, they were, they were demon possessed. You studied out. They, they were religious demon infected people. And I'll tell you right now, we've got a bunch of it in America. Can you imagine, Brother Lutz, me getting so mad at you preaching the word of God to me that I come up on i bite you. It's craziness. I want to tell you there are a bunch of people in America right now who like to do this to Christian people. Yeah. Yeah. They hate people who preach this Bible. They hate the word of God. Yeah. I, I mean, I could. When I read this man's preaching, I'm going to realize I am a wimp of a preacher. I am a wimp. He didn't get behind the pulpit. He was standing in a courtroom. He didn't have a friend in there that I see recorded in the Bible. He had nobody taking his case but God Almighty. And these guys ran upon him, and the Bible said they gnashed upon him with their teeth. Do you know what makes me sick? We don't want to even want to be ostracized in the community for our stand. We wouldn't want anybody to say, oh, you believe that? Oh, you take a stand for that? You're what you... We can't even take a little fluffy, snowflakey ostracization or mocking or scorning. We're such wimps. Yeah. And if we ain't got all of our Christian buddies around us to support us. Uh-huh. Christianity America makes me sick. It's such a joke. It really is. I mean, we, look what, look, look, read your Bible there. Here's the difference between Stephen and me. Be he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. Here was his key. He saw beyond time into eternity. Looked up steadfastly in heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Only place in your Bible that I know of. The Bible said that when Jesus went back to heaven, that he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Only place in the Bible I know of where it says Jesus stood up. He looked down, he saw a man who loved his enemies, meek and lowly, but was honest with them. Loved those men enough to tell them the truth. And I said he looked up into heaven. Jesus standing at the right hand. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open. Now, I'm going to show you something here that to get really what's happened here, you need to get this. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. That's a very important statement. When he said that, these men knew that Jesus called himself the son of man and that he was described through the gospels and through his life as the son of man and the son of God. Watch this. And they knew that the one who was on the right hand of almighty God was the Messiah that Moses had talked about. And he was telling those men, this Jesus, whom you crucified, is God almighty the Messiah And he said, he's standing right now. You know what he's saying? God is seized. He sees what you're doing. He sees not just what you're doing, but he sees your heart. And may I say to you this morning, God sees my heart and he sees your heart. And he knows what's going on. Now he said this, watch. Verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stop their ears. They'd been biting on this man. Well, oh, I mean I'm under conviction. It's just like something inside me says, You ought to sit down. You are such a hypocrite. I'm gonna we'll show you why. We talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost. Brent? Brett, what would you do if somebody ran on you and bit you? You'd punch them, me too. Now, I want to tell you all something. I've been reading this last few weeks. I've been rereading it and rereading it. You know what God told me? You ain't no more filled with the Holy Ghost than a man in the moon. Because Ty, if I was filled with the Holy Ghost, when somebody says something about me and treats me bad, I'd be like Stephen. Ain't going to bug me. Brother Matthew, if I was filled with the Holy Ghost, people say something bad about me, it, I'd be yielded. You see, the Bible said Jesus was meek and lowly. And he said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. He said, I'll give you rest. He said, for I am meek. And meek means that you yielded your rights. When Jesus died on the cross, he said he could have called 12 legions of angels. But he didn't. Why? He was meek. He yielded his right to live so you could live. Josh, I' we'll am be straight, gun barrel straight with you. God showed me I am not full of the Holy Ghost. If I were full of the Holy Ghost, little stuff would not make me mad. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I wouldn't be all upset about this and upset about that and mad. I mean, good land of living, these guys are biting on him. Yep. They're biting on him, and they're not near done. That's why I I feel like, y'all sit down, Reggie. You're not full of the Holy Ghost. The evidence is proved by your reaction to persecution. Verse number 57. Then they cried out a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses, boy, here it is, folks there were people watching laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Paul's whole ministry was, yes, it was based upon the life of Christ, but you can't convince me that he never got that out of his mind what he saw Stephen do that day. Whose yeah. <laughs> name was Saul. Saul. And they stoned Stephen. Stephen calling upon God. Stephen was calling upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knew he was going to die right there. He knew it was over with. They're going to kill him. And he kneeled down. The rocks are coming, they're hitting him. And he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice. Here's the last thing he said. You know why I know I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I don't have this attitude about my enemies. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And I want to apologize to the church when I wished I was full of the Holy Ghost, but I'm not. And I don't know what it's going to take for God, to me, to let God do that. Oh, I want to tell you something. I'm not interested in your tongues. I'm not interested in your contemporary worship. And I'm not interested in the latest uh, song that come out of some hell whole religious system. Let me tell you what I'm interested in. I'm interested in being so filled with the spirit of God that a man can cuss me out and bite on me and throw rocks at me. And I say, Lord, I know you've got a purpose in this. I can see the hand of God and what's going on in my life. And I can kneel down and say, dear Lord, don't lay this sin against their charge. That's being filled with the Holy Ghost. We've got the devil's substitute all over this country. We've got the devil's substitute everywhere except the real thing. And I want to say to you this, and I'm going to close. That young man saw, saw that. And he knew that's not normal. That's not human. That's not what people do. Why? What happened? What's this man got that I don't got? Saul was threatening, slaughtered everybody. He's going to kill everybody. He saw the love of God. He saw Christ in him. That's the last thing Jesus said on the cross wasn't nearly. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let me tell you the impact that it had on the Apostle Paul in Second Timothy chapter four, Paul said, "I'm getting ready to depart." And he lists some things that people had done, and he said this, "Lord, I pray that it be not laid to their charge. You want to be filled with the Holy Ghost today? If we do, that's what it'll produce. It ain't going to produce a bunch of people standing up in front of a stage with lights and lowered down and all that junk and hooping and hollering. And it ain't going to be us in here singing amazing grace and our ritualism and our state of deadness. It's going to be when God comes and tomorrow you're out there at work and somebody treats you like a stinking dog. And somebody doesn't pay their bill. And somebody cusses you out. And you refuse to be bribed and bought off and sell out your faith and not afraid to lose some friends or family. And you can say, Lord, I don't understand everything going on, but I know you're in this. And I've loved them enough to tell them the truth. Lord, thy will be done, not my will be done. I'm just telling you, I'm honest with you. I read this and I say, I don't know nothing about. Truly. Serving God. I don't know what to do about it either. Do you? What do we do? I've pastored for 40 years. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not interested in any phony, bloney, play church garbage. I love church. Love to come to church. I, I get rest at church. I get help. It's a blessing to me. Really is. We have a wonderful church. I'm going to be honest with y'all, God wants to do something here.. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something further than the truth this morning. I almost feel like that I'm the one that's in the way. I can tell you a strange story that happened back when I started preaching. I've never told it from the pulpit, ever. And I don't know that I will this morning. But it had to do with a man. And tonight I will preach more on this subject of the practical application of deacons in a church. I'm going to preach on that. It won't be like this morning at all. But there is such a thing. Watch this. As God getting, quote, a good man out of the way so he can do something. I've seen it happen. And right now, in my heart, I'm being as honest, gun barrel straight with you as I know. I ain't no Stephen. I do not have the evidence of a man that's filled with the Holy Spirit. I haven't preached like Stephen. I don't respond like Stephen. I'm no Stephen. A deacon. A deacon. Didn't pastor no church. But a man of God. I hope you take this message and think about it really seriously. I hope you come back tonight. I hope you listen if you can. And I hope we'll get a hold of some things that maybe maybe God will use and do in our church in our midst if we let him. Love you. I sure do love you. Appreciate you listening, putting up with me.